Welcome to Staying Ageless Podcast, a show that will equip you with the major keys to achieve extraordinary longevity. This is your girl, Associate E, also known as Raw Girl. I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach. And today on the show, we'll be chatting about how to create equity in healthcare. To get this longevity party started, I'm going to give you guys some background on health disparities for African-Americans in the U.S. and a few helpful guidelines that you can use to advocate for yourself in the health field. And later, we'll be chatting with Trudy LeBron, a business and leadership coach who has founded the Equity Centered Coaching Collective. I am so grateful to have each and every one of you tuning into the show from all over the world. Shout out to listeners in Uganda, Mozambique, South Africa, the UK, France, Germany, Canada, Poland, and the USA. I appreciate you all. If today's show inspires you, I'm inviting you to go ahead and subscribe and please rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Make sure to write a review. It means the world to me to get feedback, so any reviews are much appreciated. I want to start off today with a quote from Robert Pearl, MD, who is CEO of the Permanente Medical Group. He says, the country is in a state of healthcare denial. The U.S. lags behind other nations in many important health measures, partly because citizens of certain races, ethnicities, and incomes experience poorer versions of U.S. healthcare than others. The disparities are glaring. Today on the show, as you can tell, I'm excited to chat about healthcare disparities and how we can work to improve curtain inequalities within the healthcare system because 99% of my clients are black women and I'm a black woman myself. I have complete familiarity with the discrimination that happens in healthcare settings. I hear horror stories every single day in my office from clients who had traumatic experience with healthcare providers. I've had some myself. Um, And we're all too familiar with the fact that there's work to be done in the health space. The Affordable Care Act, aka Obamacare, has helped to ensure healthcare coverage happens for millions of Americans. But the uninsured rate among African Americans did decline after the law was implemented. Of more than 20 million people uh, who have gained coverage under the Affordable Care Act, 2.8 million of them are African-American, yet this population is still more likely to be uninsured than white Americans. As of 2018, the uninsured rate among African-Americans was 9.7%, while it was just 5.4% among whites. African-Americans were more likely to be covered through employer-sponsored or private health insurance. 55% of African-Americans used private health insurance in 2018, while 41.2% were enrolled in Medicaid or some other type of public health insurance. The average family spends a whopping $8,200, child, or 11% of family income per year on healthcare premiums and out-of-pocket costs for things such as office visit co-pays, prescription drugs, and surprise or out-of-plan medical bills that continue to wreak havoc on the financial security of families. I've actually had crazy experience with medical bills myself, and the entire system to me is broken. Why am I paying all of this money only to get into an accident and realize I have this crazy bill, and you didn't even help me? You didn't help me get to the root cause in a lot of times. And of course, I am not saying that doctors are not needed and that emergency services aren't needed and that we don't have physicians who are out there really caring for patients. I'm saying that the whole way that the system is set up 
it needs to be redesigned. For African-Americans, the average annual cost for healthcare premiums is almost 20% of the average household income. This is a major cost to bear when you take into account income inequality and other economic challenges. So increases in health insurance coverage because of the Affordable Care Act have improved access to medical care, and that has also been linked to better outcomes for African-Americans, such as earlier diagnosis and treatment of certain cancers, But disparities still exist across health conditions when you compare African-Americans and whites, including maternal mortality. This is a big concern for a lot of my clients who are getting pregnant, infant mortality, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, and other health issues. Social factors, including economic disadvantage, inequities in education, and lack of access to health care impact a person's ability to lead a healthy and productive life. For people in American society, that experience racism and inequality in their daily lives and throughout their lifespan, the impact of social factors on health are the most grave. Even with improved access to medical care under the Affordable Care Act, the disparities in health outcomes between Black Americans and whites are stark. African American women are three times more likely to die of pregnancy-related causes than white women. The African American infant mortality rate is twice the rate for white infants. And African-Americans are more likely to die from cancer and heart disease than whites and are at greater risk for the onset of diabetes. However, death rates for African-Americans with cancer and heart disease did drop over a 15-year period. But when you look across many chronic illnesses, African-Americans are still likely more likely to die compared to other racial and ethnic groups. Now we got to deal with the other thing, which is the, the way this country was designed and the racial residential segregation that still happens. So in African-American and Latino neighborhoods, they're more likely to lack hospitals and not have access to healthcare providers. So where you live matters. So when healthcare providers are located within Black and Latino communities, they tend to offer lower quality care. This is just a fact. And so often people of color find themselves relying heavily on community health centers emergency rooms or outpatient care and community-based providers due to the lack of available primary care and mental health care providers in specific geographic areas, aka Black and Latino communities. Traveling outside of the immediate geographic area to access health care may be an option for some people, but for many, that's going to be a real challenge due to a lack of access to transportation or limited incomes. Yeah, all of the, all of the above. So what do we do to change this? Well, we need to change the availability and the access. The access needs to be granted to Blacks of all income brackets to quality health care by practitioners who actually care about them and promote their well-being. I mean, I do think that there needs to be training, um, but I also think that you know we need to empower more, uh, more people to get into the health space that are of color and also encourage more people who have the heart to work for their own communities to do so. On top of all of this stuff that we just talked about, the U.S. Dietary Guidelines, which I've spoken about before, which guides what we put on our table and feed our families at home, are racist. And they continue to promote consumption of dairy, knowing that 75% or more African-Americans are lactose intolerant. I'm seeing Black clients every single day who are now struggling with a diagnosis because of early and continuous dairy consumption. So these guidelines have to be updated and amended. 
So as we fight the power to ensure that the racist systems in place are dismantled, we also have to advocate for ourselves in healthcare settings. We cannot be sitting ducks. We can't just take this stuff sitting. And, and, you know, sometimes when we're going through these traumatic experiences, we don't know what to do, but it's really important that we hold healthcare providers accountable. Find out their license numbers. Report people who don't treat you well in healthcare settings. Here are some ways that some other things you can do. Arm yourself with information. Research your health concern a little bit or your condition before your appointment. Write down your questions. Don't be afraid to ask your healthcare providers questions. And if they get upset with you for asking questions, find another one. If you have limited time with them, you want to make sure those questions are already written down. Keep your own record of all the information provided to you. Make sure you request records for testing and different things so that you know and are informed about what is going on with your body. I can't tell you the number of times I've had to ask clients, hey, okay, you have fibroids. Where are they? What are the locations of these fibroids? How many did you have the reports? And they don't know. They have no idea. They just took whatever that doctor said, um, but they weren't given any sort of documentation or they didn't keep it on file. So it's really important that you do that for yourself. If you feel marginalized and ignored, or if you're not having your needs met, don't be afraid again to hold your doctor accountable by making your voice heard. And then also seek out other opinions. Healthcare workers should work for you, not other interests, and they're supposed to be partners in your health. Another thing you can do is get a second opinion. It's really, really important to never just take one healthcare provider's opinion as law unless you really intuitively feel this is the right, I'm I'm being given like a lot of attention um, and this resonates with me. According to the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, as many as one in 20 people fall victim to outpatient diagnostic errors, and African Americans are more likely to be misdiagnosed due to miscommunication or dismissal between patients and physicians. I see this all the time. I have a lot of clients coming saying they got this specific diagnosis only to figure out, no, that doesn't sound right. Maybe you should go back and get another opinion. And when we start working on the condition from um, another angle, they start to feel better. Even if you're comfortable with the diagnosis you receive, staying informed is one of the most important tools that you'll have in your toolbox. And this is part of what we do at my practice. We give people the education they need to also go into their healthcare settings and have a bit more information from a holistic perspective about what's happening with their body so that they can know how to make the best decisions. If you're feeling overwhelmed, call for backup. Have a friend with you, have a partner with you that's well-informed to advocate for you, especially if you, you know, sometimes some of us get um, white coat syndrome or, or, you know, our blood pressure elevates or we get frightened in these settings. So having someone with us is, is a really good idea. And that will also help you just have an additional resource for questions and answers and give you more confidence to advocate for yourself. All right, all right. We're going to take a short break. And when we get back, we're going to speak to our amazing guest. I am super excited to announce the launch of the new destination I created for online programs called Staying Ageless University. At Staying Ageless University, we create epic content to teach you about holistic wellness and transformational healing programs to help you achieve extraordinary longevity. 
We believe that learning is an essential component of healing and creating lasting change, and every one of our programs are created from protocols that I have tried and tested on clients who have achieved optimal wellness by following them. Our signature programs include Staying Ages 30 Plus, which is designed to help women 30 plus interested in staying fly till you're 99 or close to it, create lasting healthy rituals, and the all-new Raw Girls Hormonal Balancing Academy for women suffering with fibroids, PCOS, endometriosis, cysts, or menopausal symptoms if you're ready to use holistic means to take control of your hormones and get your life back. We also have two new programs that are amazing for New Year's clean starts, Detox Your Life, which includes 30-day plant-based detox, either raw or vegan, and Candida and Parasites Be Gone for those who are ready to kick Candida overgrowth or parasites to the curb for good. Enrollment is now open for three of our programs, and we officially launch January 1st, 2021. You can learn more about us and our program offerings at stayingagelessuniversity.com. Hope to see you in class. When I lived in LA, I was at the beach all of the time. (laughs) The beach was my happy place. After going to the beach, I would always stop by this amazing raw food restaurant. They had the most delicious food, burritos, cinnamon rolls. I was obsessed. Fast forward to this year when I wanted to give myself a jumpstart on raw, I discovered that this amazing restaurant that I used to frequent had transitioned to nationwide delivery of fully prepared raw meals. It's called Raw Evolution, and for 20 years, they've been serving the finest and most vibrant living foods meals. They offer a raw box, which includes two fresh pressed juices, four gourmet entrees, four generous sides, and two delicious low glycemic desserts. The raw box is designed to provide one person with about four to five days of lunches and dinners. I also love that the menu changes each week, so there's always lots of variety. I get a lot of inquiries from listeners and clients alike who want to go raw and feel like it's not sustainable time-wise. If this is you, this is an amazing solution to get your raw jumpstart. Head on over to rawvolution.com and use the code RAWGIRL to receive a discount on your first purchase. Today's guest is Trudy LeBron, a business and leadership coach and founder of the Equity-Centered Coaching Collective, which provides coaching and consulting to entrepreneurs at all stages of business who are ready to take an impact-driven, equity-centered approach to their work, business, and leadership. Trudy is serious about justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, and how these things show up or don't in our businesses. After spending 15 years working in the nonprofit industry while side hustling to make ends meet, Trudy launched Script Flipped, a consulting firm helping schools and youth development agencies design high quality, inclusive programs for marginalized youth. She grew that business to six figures, enabling her to leave her full time job, and then launched a business mastermind supporting entrepreneurs in creating inclusive, equitable, and impactful businesses. Today, Trudy provides strategic support, guidance, education, and strategy for some of the biggest brands in the coaching and personal development industry. Hi, Trudy. Hi. I'm so excited to have you on Staying Ageless today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So before we get into some of the nitty gritty of what I want to ask you, because I really want your perspective on something, I want to start with, you you have a very interesting job and work that you do right now. So can you please explain how you got into what you're doing um, and why? Yes. So I am a business coach and diversity, equity, and inclusion coach. And I work mostly these days, I work mostly with 
other coaches and brands in the personal development industry. Um, but I've been doing this work for a very long time, actually. I used to, I, I formally, I say formally started in 2008 because that's when I got my first like consulting job with a national firm. And, you know, so this, I've been doing this work for a really long time, looking at educational inequities in schools and nonprofit organizations um, and communities. So that, this is like my career. And I got into that work because I grew up in an inner city in Connecticut. I'm biracial. My children are identified as Black men. I was a teen mom who dropped out of high school. And so I have come, and you know, over the course of my life, I have come face to face with real um, systemic barriers and not just the system barriers, but the people who were like enforcing these systems. And it was just, you know, at so many points in my life, it was just a real fight to like get access to education and, you know, get access to healthcare and really being confronted with real choices. Like, do I invest in my education or do I invest or, or do I not do that so that I can appease some kind of like social service agency or, you know, whatever. So, uh, um, so I've been doing, so I've been like really confronted with that work for uh, a long time. And so the reason that I focus my business, because I run a business doing this work for coaches, for personal development industry folks. Um, and the reason I do that is because I really believe in the power of coaching and like what happens in a, in a high quality coaching environment. And, um, that world is so white. <laughs> the world is so white. And it's it's really, and it's not just like white people, but it's whiteness is seeped into a lot of the belief systems in that industry. And there's such an opportunity to start to dismantle that so that more black and brown folks can have access to high quality coaching and get the the results in their lives from having, you know, from having that kind of an experience. I love that. And I'm I'm with you on that because I I'm a behavioral coach and I actually, I just completed a, another coaching certification in addition to the fact that I'm a nutritionist because what I do is I have to coach people in order to get results. <laughs> um, and, and I agree because I read a lot of books on habit forming and different things and I never see anyone of color. So it's been cool because lately I've been able to speak on that, but then you realize, oh my goodness, I'm the only one here. Yeah. It's really wild. It's really wild. When I started looking into the coaching industry coming from the nonprofit world, you know, I hired my first coach and it was really motivated by business. Like I needed to make more money. You know, I, I couldn't keep working for people in that environment. And so I hired, you know, a business coach. I started going to those conferences and I was like, whoa, like this is really like, I can't believe that not only is it so white, but it was almost like that world was insulated from some of the conversations around equity and inclusion that were happening in other industries for years. How y'all don't know about this? Like what is happening? So I really wanted to be, you know, part of bringing that conversation into that industry. And, you know, I'm just happy that, that it has worked out. That is such a good point. I think that sometimes that when it comes to diversity and like for me, so I'm thinking about the healthcare industry. I wanted to get your perspective. I feel like it's a huge industry. So it's really hard to just be like, child, I want you to tell me about the entire healthcare industry. You know what I mean? It's crazy. But what you just said is super important, which is 
sometimes it's not even like lack of inclusion. It's sometimes it's lack of inclusion because of literally omission. Like just, we don't even pay attention to you. Like we don't hear your conversations. We don't know that when you show up at the doctor's office, you have this horrible experience and, or we just, and, and so I don't know if it's, I don't know if that is always intentional, but it still matters. Yeah. And so I don't even know where to begin with the healthcare industry, but I would love to hear your thoughts on like, when you're dealing with something like healthcare, like, where do you think people could actually start to like have a completely different perspective about the way that things are run from, from today? I think that one of the most critical things is that people start to get connected to to advocates and to other communities, like to other people who are on this journey with them so that they feel like they're not alone in, in sharing their experience. Like I went to the doctor and this happened, you know, like if you don't have other people to talk to about what your experience is, it's really easy to start to talk yourself into like, Oh, is it because it's me or is that how they treat everybody? Or, you know, it's really easy to start doing all of, all of that stuff. So being in community with people where you can have those conversations so that you know that you're not alone and then getting over time, there's this like fluency. I I use the word fluency because I think it is a practice. And over time, there's this like comfort that you get with the language of advocacy and being able to advocate for yourself and for other people and being able to say, no, like you're going to check this thing out. This is wrong. You know, or I want to see another doctor or send another nurse in here. Like you have to get, there is a, there's a comfort level in being able to ask for those things. And also, you know, if you have the, the ability and the privilege to do so, like, like finding other doctors, like you don't have to just see who you, you know, who you have. I love that there's so many more. I've been seeing this actually a lot of, um, the name is going to escape me, but Oh, direct primary care, like membership-based, um, membership-based services. I'm seeing more options. Like people need to be connected to more options for how they access their healthcare. You don't have to just go to the primary care doctor that's associated with whatever insurance. Like you can go and see if there's more people who are more naturopathic or um, like membership-based healthcare where you're not bound to 15-minute appointments, and you know you can kind of like really get to know your primary care provider. So just understanding that there are more options for you is, I think it's it's just critical. We don't have to just do what we've always done. We don't have to like settle for that. Yeah, no, for sure. So you help people create equitable organizations that that preferably also integrate anti-racist practices, right? Yep. One thing that you were just saying that was like ding, ding, ding for me, it was like accountability. Like the problem is like you could have this really great diversity disclaimer and it looks really cute on paper and actually like makes people feel good when they read it. (laughs) But then in practice, it can fall short. Um, And so I'm wondering, like, does it start with the way that we're, does it have to start with the way that we're building the organization from the ground up? Or can we also pivot when we've already built this massive business or organization and now we're trying to get ourselves together and hold ourselves accountable? I mean, it's always preferable that it starts from the beginning, but, you know, people have the businesses they have. Healthcare, for example, is a, it's a huge system. You know, there's, there's a system of healthcare and then you have 
individual clinics, right, and individual practices. And so there's uh, there's responsibility at all of those levels for leaders to be looking at their their practices, looking at their policies, like really prioritizing equity in their work. But you, so if, if you're already established, you can't just be like, oh, well, too bad. Like we've been here forever. We can't, you know, like we can't go back and start from the beginning. You definitely, I, I am I'm optimistic in that, yes, like there is hope, but really where it starts is it's not about the diversity statement on the website, right? It's not about like the one training. It's about a personal transformation that people need to undertake. And those are the kinds of questions yeah. that people can be asking of their healthcare providers. Like what kind of, how have you prioritized, like how have you made you and your staff aware of issues regarding, in you know, healthcare disparities across races or across communities? Um, what personal work have you done to unpack your own biases and how you show up in your practice? Those are questions that can be asked. Ooh, that's good. No, that is really good. And I think those questions, I think an important thing about what you just said is taking control and realizing that I always say your health care provider works for you. We can interview these people. Yeah. It, is, it is actually completely okay to ask them these kinds of questions and, and be like, I'm not feeling that answer. Let me go find somebody else. It's, it's gotta be a little bit more like dating versus like, I'm stuck with this person. I'm not being treated well and being upset about it. You mentioned you have this thing on your site where you talk about liberatory leadership. And I was just like, Ooh, that sounds great. Can you explain what that is? <laughs> yeah. So liberatory leadership, we, so we teach this practice of business called equity and, and of coaching called equity centered coaching or equity centered business. And liberatory leadership is one of the components of our framework. And what that really taps into is making, taking action and making decisions as a leader whether it's in your business or for yourself or for your home or whatever context of leadership, where you are making decisions that are about creating more space, more opportunity, and are connected to the context of, of your identity, right? So liberation, liberation work is really connected to a person's personal context. So their gender, their race, where they came from, like, Understanding that our lives, the ways that our lives unfold, are can't be separated from the identities that we hold. And so if we're in leadership and we're leading people who are a diverse group of people, we need to understand that people are coming to the table with different personal contexts. And so we need to be understanding of what those things are and then making decisions based on um, based on this practice of creating more space for people to show up as they are, to be fully expressed, and to create more opportunity for self-direction, which I think for for folks thinking about healthcare, right? Like this, the idea of self-determination and the ability to choose, like what course of treatment you might want, or what what kind of healthcare practitioner you want to work with, like, and not being told this is what's wrong with you and this is what you need, but that you have personal agency in making choices, right. and that you're a collaborator um, in in your health journey, not just a collaborator, but really a leader. Mm. So, liberatory leadership is—it sounds to me like being authentic to some degree. Yeah, being authentic and or being, it's rooted in authenticity. 
It is. It's rooted in authenticity and it's rooted in, it's rooted really in justice. It's rooted in the idea that, that the, that the world is not just right, that there is injustice everywhere and that we need to be creating opportunities to, for people to make choices that bring more justice into the world, that put people more in control of their own lives. Okay. Okay. And how do we prioritize making things equitable? So equity is really about having people, about making sure that people have what they need in order to thrive, which means that not everybody is going to get the same thing, which really, you know, is a mind trip for some people because people grow up thinking like, oh, we're all just the same. It's all about equal. Everybody treat everybody should be treated the same way. And what we're really asking is that people are treated equitably. Which means that if people, if some people need more or if some people need something different, that that is what you provide. And so not being afraid mm. to ask for that's something, so that's what you need. You know what I mean? Like is part of your own, is, is, is really connected to your own liberation and your own self-determination to say, no, that won't work. I know that's what everybody gets. That doesn't work for me because of X, Y, Z. What about this? Like what about this other thing that would really help me get to the same place? Yeah, no, that's so interesting. And when I think about it, when I think about that in the context of healthcare, it gets really complicated because it feels like things are so unequitable right now that yeah. it's almost like we need you to stop and focus on how you were focused on all these disparities and correcting them first before we can have a conversation. Yeah, I mean, people need to really be able to acknowledge what the inequities are. And that is that's just hard for people because they take it. So people take it so personally, they think it's about them. Mm. And the fact is, is that none of us who are alive right now or any of the people who made any decisions about how, you know, how things are, many of us uphold the policies that have been in place for, you know, a very long time, but we need to be willing to acknowledge, yes, these disparities are real. Yes. Um, there are systemic issues that are connected to all of these things, and we need to take steps to dismantle and repair them. The solutions are equitable solutions, but you can't even get there unless people are willing to say, oh, yeah, I see how this is like messed up. Yeah. I'm curious what your thoughts are on, like, you help a lot of people create these business environments that are equitable, all that stuff already, right? But what are your thoughts on? Building something that is the, you know, that is a solution versus working within a system, trying to fix it. Like, do we just, do, do we just give up and just be like, ah, I, just, I can't even take it, child. I think it's both, right? I think that some of us are here to create new things. And I think that some of us are here to, you know, work, to work within. And all of us have our own unique kind of gifts and roles and personalities. And some of us can really bear the weight of creating something new because there is creating something new is like everybody thinks being an entrepreneur is like the greatest thing, <laughs> but it, and it's, it is great and right. it's hard. Like it's like, there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of like paving your own way. There's just so much work there. And I mean, and working within a system to try to dismantle and change the system is a different kind of weight, right? And we all can bear certain things. So I think that part of mm -hmm. personal development journey is like understanding where you fit 
in the world and like what your role is. And so I think we need to be doing both. I like that. I like that a lot. And it makes sense. If, if we create something new, not everybody is going to be like on board with like the new thing. I mean, I imagine that you encounter this, right? Like all the time, I'm sure you teach people how to be, take more control over their health, over their nutrition. And I'm sure a whole bunch of people are like, no, nah, I'm not messing with none of that, what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Like I've been doing things this way forever. This is how I was raised. This is what we eat. This is what we do. Right. So not everybody is going to do the new thing. Right. Well, it's, it's, it's really interesting because in my business, it's like the people who find me are people who are interested in alternatives, are people who are have sometimes had severely traumatic experiences in offices, yeah. in doctor's offices or experience, you know, they're not being heard. No one's getting to the root cause of their problem, but that's a whole other issue with like training and, and approach to actual healing, which is a whole other thing, right? Because I'm from a holistic, you know, school of thought. So there's just so many layers. So usually when they're coming, their mind is already like, I'm like, I'm looking for something. You know what I mean? I'm looking for something that ain't over there. <laughs> but how many people never question it? You know, there's so many people who are showing up in those doctor's offices and having these experiences and they're not, they're just kind of like, that's just what I get. Like, that's just what it is, you know? Yeah. And that I think is the biggest thing that we have to dismantle. Like we have to get rid of this idea that any health professional, including me, is the author of, I should not be able to speak into your life and that be law. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry. We need to start holding people accountable for what they say, how they say it, fear mongering. When we see this now with the pandemic and stuff, be careful of how we're speaking to people. And I think that that's something that has to do with going back to like the training of health professionals. Because like when I was trained as a master's in nutrition and integrative health, we had to study a healing presence. It's a whole thing. Like you have to show up a certain way to be in communication with a patient. And a lot of times when people are having these horrific experiences, it's clear that that person is not even barely looking at them as a human, but it's like, hey, I'm a a human with emotions. Like, don't off the cuff say stuff like I may never have a baby ever or just say some crazy stuff that could stay in my subconscious and not only affect my health, but then affect my emotional, (laughs) my emotions for like the rest of the week, if not years. And that, that right there is the essence of liberatory leadership, right? It's about mm-hmm. no, you as the leader understanding that you're not the expert in someone else's life, but that Ooh. you're a guide, you know, you're, you're a guide helping someone on their own journey, but they are in control of their life. You're a leader. They're seeing you as a leader, but you're focused on their liberation and a process of, of self-determination. I love that. I love that a lot. What are some questions that we can ask ourselves if we're about this life and we also want to make sure that our organizations reflected our businesses? What are some questions we can ask ourselves to start getting our mind right? Yeah. So one of the things that I always talk to people, because we work with a lot of white folks, but we work, we, but not all white folks. Right? We work with plenty of black and brown folks, Asian right. people from all over the world. And what we often have conversations about is how whiteness and 
and systems of oppression have had that how we have been taught those things and how we need to dismantle some of those things too. So looking at the way that we work, the way that we lead, the way we supervise others, the way we create processes in our business, where have we learned those things from? Do they uphold whiteness? Do they uphold racism? Do they uphold systems of oppression? And how can we start to dismantle those things, not just in the business, but also in ourselves? Like, what are we, what standards are we holding on to that came from somewhere else? You know what I mean? That, that are not part of actually what we believe in. Are we in alignment? Do we show up in our work and in our businesses in alignment with what we believe about ourselves, about others, about what communities should look like, about how people should be? in partnership with each other, do our businesses reflect those things? And oftentimes they don't. Like oftentimes when people really start to look at how they lead, how they manage, how they run meetings, how they create policies, like they start to see that, oh, like I'm holding on to this stuff that I learned in this corporate environment. It's actually not serving me, but that's what I was taught it's supposed to look like. Wow. That's so interesting. So it's almost like a de- you almost got to do a detox before you can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is just a big a mental detox. <laughs> and I think that the, that process really creates more personal freedom. Once you start questioning, like, wait a minute, I work for myself. Why am I waking up at seven? If I hate if I'm not a morning person. Right. Start my work day at not eight or nine o'clock. Like, why am I doing that? Like, there's no I'm the boss. Like, why am I? Like, is that what I was taught? Like. Maybe that doesn't work for me. Maybe, maybe there's another way or, and maybe not, right? Like maybe that is actually the perfect way for you. But if you haven't interrogated it, you haven't looked at all of the ways you do things to say, is this true for me? Like, is this, does this feel right? Does this allow me to be my best self? You know what I mean? And be willing to start to say like, oh, I'm going to actually let that go. I'm going to try to do things a little bit differently. I love that. I love that. I feel like that's about like being super intentional, like designing what actually works for you, which is something I have to do with my clients anyway, with, you know, health habits and stuff. It's like, child, if you know, if you ain't going to cook every night, go ahead and get a delivery service. Don't feel bad about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Do whatever you got to do to support your actual health goals. Don't be out here trying to push yourself into a box. Right. Because um, you make bad choices, right? Like then you don't get the delivery service because you have an intention to cook every night. And now you're sitting in the drive through somewhere because you ain't had the time, right? Like I know that story, <laughs> but we do that. Exactly that. We do that with everything. I promise you, we do that in our businesses. We do that in our, like all of our relationships. Like if we're not being intentional and honest and authentic about who we are and what we need, we're operating under this this idea of what something should look like. And then when we can't uphold that, like everything falls apart. And then we're like all the way out of alignment. So good. No, so good. So true. Where can people find you online, Trudy? And also like, tell us a little bit about um, some of the entrepreneurial stuff in case anybody listening got a business. Yes. So people can come and hang out with me on Instagram at Trudy Lebron. And if if people are interested in learning more about any of the programs we offer entrepreneurs, um, they can come and just check out our website. 
um, just a Trudy LeBron. We have a mastermind. We help people like get started. We also help people who are further along in their business. So yeah, if people want to like learn how to grow their business in a way that is in alignment with like their core values and their beliefs around, you know, about around equity, around how they want to be treated, around designing a, a business that really creates the impact that you want, uh, come and check us out. Dope. Thank you so much. This was uh, awesome. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Attention, superfood lovers. You all may know by now that my favorite African superfood of all time is Moringa. Why? Moringa has 92 nutrients and 46 antioxidants, and every part of the amazing plant can be used. I personally use Moringa oil on my face twice a day, and then I also use Moringa powder to add to my smoothies, make Moringa bread, or sprinkle on meals for added nutrition from an amazing company called True Moringa. Founded in 2013, True Moringa is creating jobs and community with their amazing skincare and wellness products. The coolest part? Every time you make a purchase from True Moringa, they plant a tree in your name. Yes, child, to date they have planted over 2 million Moringa trees to combat deforestation and malnutrition in Ghana. To check out their awesome products, visit TrueMoringa.com and use the code RAWGIRL at checkout for 10% off and free shipping over $20. Are you interested in living your best, healthiest life? I'm Asosa E, also known as The Raw Girl of TheRawGirl.com, and I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach who specializes in helping you discover what exercise and diet is best for your body and get to the root cause and rebalance if you have a serious chronic condition. Clients who've worked with me have reversed diabetes, hypertension, balanced hormonally, gotten rid of acne for good, and lost hundreds of pounds. If you are interested in reaching your health goals with some support this year, visit therawgirl.com to sign up for a 20-minute call with yours truly. Until then, stay healthy and happy. All right, all right, all right. It's time to take a question from Instagram or email. Remember, if you would like to have your question answered on the show, all you got to do is slide up in my DMs on Instagram at therawgirl or contact me via my website, therawgirl.com. Today's question is from Dana, who reached out to me via email. She asked, I recently heard that canola oil is bad for you. Is this true? And if so, what are some good substitutes? Hi, Dana. Thanks so much for reaching out. So canola oil is everywhere, child. It's taken over the food processing industry. It's it's in all of the packaged stuff, mayonnaise, chips, salad dressings. Um, it's usually the first, second, or third ingredient if you really pay attention to a lot of packaged foods. Unfortunately, there are some real health dangers of canola oil, and it's actually far beyond what most people know about. So let me give you a little brief history on canola oil. Canola oil was first created in the 70s as a natural oil, but then in 1995, Monsanto created a genetically modified version of canola oil. By 2009, a really large percentage, I think 90% or so, of the canola oil crop was genetically engineered, and I'm not sure if that's worldwide. Canola oil is the descendant of the rapeseed plant, which is a member of the brassica family of veggies, some of our favorite ones like kale, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage. And it was put on the market for human consumption in the 50s, but not that many people wanted to consume it because it had this really strong flavor and a really strange color. 
So scientists basically discovered that uracic acid, one of the major fatty acid components of the oil, was actually over 50%, was damaging to heart tissue. And then olive oil came on the market and it started being marketed as this next big thing. So basically marketers were like, we got to give rapeseed oil a makeover. So that's what they did. So they did some selective breeding, careful marketing, and rapeseed oil was now low in uracic acid. And then they made it higher in oleic acid, just like heart healthy olive oil, higher in omega-3 fats and also neutral tasting. The name rapeseed was replaced with canola. So while genetic modification was successful at lowering the uracic acid content, it also increased the amount of oleic acid. And there are real health concerns when consuming lots of oleic acid, including retarded growth, so it's banned from infant formulas, can't be used in infant formulas, abnormalities in blood platelets, damage from free radicals, obviously a way to age yourself super fast, (laughs) Um, increased risk of developing certain cancer types. So although canola oil has been marketed as sort of a health food that is low in saturated fats and a source of omega-3 fatty acids, it's far from that. It's not only genetically modified in most cases, it's highly processed and refined, which can contribute to major health problems in your body. So what do you do, child? I know you're like, what do I do? Well, you just need a substitute. Okay, so what oils can you use? First of all, if you're still eating packaged stuff that has canola oil in it, stop and start paying attention and reading your labels. If you aren't doing that, great, let's move on to the next step. So let's pay attention to the oils you got in your drawer. So I always keep a couple different types of oils on hand. Coconut oil is really awesome. It's best when it's cold-pressed and virgin. Try to avoid refined coconut oil. Coconut oil is one of those ones who has a really awesome high heat threshold, meaning it doesn't turn into trans fatty acids when heating. So it doesn't turn rancid when it's heated at high temperatures. It contains medium chain fatty acids as well, which support healthy nervous system, encourage fat loss in general. Olive oil. Um, Olive oil is actually, people do cook with it, but it doesn't really work as best with the high temperatures as, as coconut or avocado. But if you go for an organic extra version or cold pressed olive oil, that can be used um, also for like salads or salad dressing and stuff like that. Um, some fake olive oils are actually mixed with cheaper GMO vegetable oils. So always make sure that when you get olive oil, you get something that says organic on it. Then there's avocado oil. Again, as I was mentioning, like coconut oil has a high smoke point. So it can be safely cooked at very high temperatures, a great one to cook with. You can also use this oil in its raw form on salads and the like. And then sesame oil is actually another one that a lot of people don't really use, but it has a high melting point. It isn't hybridized like canola oil or vegetable oil. And it can be really great for like stir fries or to make a really awesome salad dressing. We could add things like coconut aminos, ginger, some salt, pretty lit. All right. I hope that helps you. Okay, y'all, that's all she wrote for today's show. I hope that today's episode gave you some insights on how to create equity in healthcare and how to handle your business when you're in health environments, okay? Within healthcare settings, we got to advocate for ourselves and for others across various races, genders, backgrounds by asking questions, demanding better service, better care, and sharing our experiences with one another and holding health professionals accountable. Change can happen when there's a community behind us and when we band together to to 
make sure that these changes actually start to take place and hold people accountable. Today, I leave you with a quote by Marshall Chin, MD, who is a professor of healthcare ethics at the University of Chicago. He says, reducing racial and ethnic disparities in health outcomes is more difficult than simply standardizing the care provided to patients. Eliminating disparities requires truly patient-centered care that is individualized care by clinicians that appreciate that patient's beliefs, behaviors, social and economic challenges, and environments influence their health outcomes. Well, that's all for today, sis. If you are looking for more health tips or have a question for the show, find me on Instagram at The Raw Girl. You can also find me and contact me through my website, therawgirl.com. For more on the show or to listen to past episodes, visit stayingagelessshow.com. To watch the interview on video from this and past episodes, subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash The Raw Girl. (laughs) 